Welcome to the Church at Rocky Peaks Downloadable Messages. This week, lead pastor Mike Yearly continues his seven-part series entitled The Company of the Committed, Seven Habits of a Healthy Church. And today he'll bring us the third message of this series entitled Spiritual Intimacy, Time Alone with God. Well, today we're uh, continuing this series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks, a new series called The Company of the Committed, Seven Habits of a Healthy Church. And of course, they're habits of a healthy life as well. And today we come to habit number three, which is spiritual intimacy, which has to do with our vertical relationship with God. And the, the tagline is time alone with God. And one of the things that strikes me about Jesus as you study his life is how important his time alone with God was which has always struck me as a little interesting because you think if anyone was kind of qualified to skip time alone with God, you'd think it'd be Jesus, you know? Um, like, like, have you ever uh, in, uh, ever said this to someone? Like, well, yeah, I don't really kind of get a lot of time in prayer, you know, just alone. That, but, you know, I'm kind of talking with God all day long. And, uh, and, you know, so he and I, we're like really close and we just kind of talk all the way. And it's like, if anyone could make that claim... You'd think it'd be Jesus, right? That I don't really need time alone with God because, you know, he and I, we're like one. And, uh, <laughs> but uh, the interesting thing is you study his life, it's not at all the truth. In fact, the interesting thing is you see the busier his life gets, the clearer the priority it is to spend time alone with God. And so we're going to trace this out. So I want you to take your Bibles and uh, turn to Mark chapter 1. First of all, we're going to look at the life of Jesus and see what we can learn from our mentor and then uh, secondly, we're going to come back and talk about, well, why do we really need time alone with God? What's so important about it? And then the last part of the message, we're going to get real practical and say, well, how do you spend time alone with God? Because I don't know if you've ever tried this, but it's not the easiest thing in the world. And so we're going to uh, work on that. So let's start with Jesus' story, uh, our mentor. In Mark chapter 1, here's the situation. Jesus has recently moved to Capernaum. Capernaum's a little a town. It's actually a pretty bustling town on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. He'd grown up in Nazareth, which is really out of the way. So he wanted to move his center for operations for his ministry to a place where there's more people. Capernaum had major routes that would go through. The Roman Empire would come through there, Gentiles, Jews. It was a major, major trade route. And so he moves there. He launches his ministry. That morning, he'd gone to the synagogue, maybe for the very first time, to teach. People were blown away with his teaching. Never heard anything like it. Right in the middle of his talk, a guy gets up and starts screaming out, he's demon-possessed. And Jesus casts out the demon, which is always, you know, good for business. You know what I'm saying? And so, the word gets out, this guy's amazing, you've got to come see him. That night, in the Sabbath, he's staying at his friend Peter's house, his buddy Peter, who lives in Capernaum. He's spending the night there, so they all hear about it. Everyone comes to Peter's house. They bring the sick, they bring the demon-possessed, and he's, he's just doing ministry. I mean, he's healing people, he's casting out demons. Very exhausting work. You know, it's a long night of work. And so what you'd expect is the next morning he's going to sleep in, right? And the guy's exhausted. But instead, the next morning, while everyone else is still asleep, he gets up to go spit, get his alone time with God. His habit number three of his life, you know, time alone with God. And it's just pretty amazing. I, I want us to read the passage, and then I want us to come back and visualize this. Mark one thirty-five, very early in the morning. So catch that, very early in the morning. In fact, it was still dark out. It says, Jesus gets up, he leaves the house, and he goes off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, I want you to picture this. He's exhausted. He goes to bed. He wakes up that morning. Maybe it's 4.30, maybe 5.30. We don't know. It's still dark out. 
There's no electricity in the house. The house is full of people. It's a typical Galilean house. Kind of one room, two room. Everyone's sleeping in the same room. He wakes up in the dark. It's quiet. He quietly gets up. He doesn't want to wake anyone else up. He gets his coat on. He tiptoes to the front door. He opens it carefully so it doesn't creak. He pulls open the door. He goes outside. The cool breeze hits him. The morning breeze hits him in the face. He closes the door. The stars are out. He's by himself. And now he starts hiking. He hikes up in the hills until he finds just the right place, that place on a rock there where he could look out over the Sea of Galilee and he could hang out with his father. You wonder, like, what makes him do that kind of thing? Why is he the only guy in the house getting up? Isn't he already close enough with God? There's an interesting passage in the Old Testament that always comes to my mind whenever I think of this, this stories of Jesus getting up early. It's in, the, it's in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. I'd like you to turn there, Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah 50 is a, a messianic passage. Later in the passage, it's going to talk about how they're going to beat the Messiah's back and pull his beard out. And so it's, it's, one of his, it's a passage about his suffering. But it starts in a really interesting way. It talks about these morning encounters with God. In verse 4, uh, the, the Messiah is speaking and he says, The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. Have you ever wondered how Jesus got so smart? (laughs) How did he get so smart? You know, you you go through the Gospels, he's always got the right word for each person, and he's got this instructed tongue, you know? It's like he's just really, he's just really bright. I mean, he just knows what to say. How did he get so smart? Well, look what it says. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. You know why Jesus got up that morning? Back in Mark 135? Because he needed to be taught. Remember in the Gospel of John where he said, hey, the words that I say, they're not my words. The works that I do, they're not my works. It's what the Father's taught me. Where do you think he heard those things? (laughs) You see, Jesus felt a tremendous need to get alone with God in his life. Uh, One more passage. This is a habit in his life. Turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 and verse 15. Now his life is getting really busy. His daytimer is full. His assistant can't get any scheduling in. People want an appointment with Jesus, you've got to wait for weeks. Life's getting really busy. But I want you to see how he responds in verse 15. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. So life's getting really busy. But look how he responds. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This is a habit in his life. Habit number three, time alone with God. Consistent time alone with God to have that spiritual intimacy. And interestingly enough, you'll see this throughout the Gospel of Luke, this emphasis on Jesus' prayer life. In fact, later on in chapter uh, 11, his disciples will come and say, you know, the way you pray, we just, we've never seen one pray like that. We would love to learn to pray. Would you teach us how to pray? In your life group homework this week, you'll study that passage. It's a theme throughout the, the Gospel of Luke. And so here's my hunch. My hunch is that this was nothing new for Jesus, this habit. It wasn't like the day he started ministry. It's, oh, time to get serious. I need to start spending time with God. It's like, no, no, no. This was the pattern of his life. This is, he'd spent his life doing this sort of thing. And here's the important thing for us. We talk a lot here at Rocky Peak about 
the goal of us coming together, the goal of being a church, is we're coming together to become like Jesus, right? I mean, that's the point. Now, here's the thing. I don't think it's possible to become like Jesus unless we take the steps that Jesus took to become like himself. You see, this was a habit in his life. How did Jesus do his life? Consistent time alone. Very important. So how can we become like Jesus if we don't follow in his footsteps, you see? So now if you turn the page, there in your notes, I want to talk just real briefly on why time alone is so important. Like what happens? Why do we need that so much? And just quickly go over three basic reasons. Number one, the first reason we need time alone with God is because it's the path to spiritual intimacy. In other words, if you want to know the Father like Jesus knew the Father, you're going to have to spend time with the Father like Jesus did. You see, it just just only makes sense. It's a path to spiritual intimacy. We all have people in our life that we just kind of naturally sense there's a, a natural connection there or a chemistry there. We probably all have people that say, you know, we could probably be friends with that person. And you see them and you say, hey, we should get together sometime and go out to dinner or catch, get a cup, a cup of coffee or, or, you know, hang out or go to the beach or something. And, and you just kind of sense that there's potential for a relationship. But, you know, potential for a relationship and relationship are two different things, aren't they? relationship, you need time and you need honesty. You see, the secret to intimacy is honesty in any relationship. We talk about intimacy, don't let the word scare you. It just means having an honest relationship with someone. You know their heart, they know your heart. It happens as we share hearts with one another. And so in order to have intimacy with God, it's really no different than a person, than any other person. If you want to have an intimate relationship with God like Jesus had, you have to spend time and you have to share your heart. It's what you have to do. And it's impossible any other way. It's not good enough coming to church on the weekends or meeting in our small groups. In any relationship, if you really want to get to know someone, you have to hang out one-on-one, don't you? It just has to happen. And so that was the secret of Jesus. It's a secret for us. That's number one. Number two. The second reason, it's the path to spiritual growth. Now, we talk a lot about spiritual growth in Christian circles. Sometimes we forget what the metaphor is all about. Remember, the Bible says that when we're Christians, one of the metaphors it uses, it says that we are born again, right? So if you're born again, that makes you a spiritual what? Baby, right, okay? So we're born again, and then we become spiritual babies. Now, when we talk about spiritual growth, what are we talking about? We're talking about growing up, right? And the goal is to become like our big brother, in Romans 8, it says that God chose him, that he might be, he chose us so that, he, that Christ might be the firstborn of a family with many brothers, you see? So, so the goal of the Christian life is for us not to stay babies, but to grow up, to mature, to be like our big brother. Now, how does that happen? How do you grow up? Well, in, in natural birth, you know, our natural life, we need certain things, right? We need food and we need shelter and there's certain things. Well, spiritually, we do too. And spiritually, we're told in the Bible that the way we're born again is through God's word. And the way that we grow up is through God's word. It's our spiritual food. Look on your note sheet there. 1 Peter 1, verse 23, says you were born, you were born again. Now, how did that happen in your life? Well, he says it's not a perishable seed. It didn't happen in a natural human way, but imperishable. It came through the living and enduring what? 
Word of God. You see that? You were born again when you came to Jesus through the Word of God. Someone shared the message of, of Christ with you, the Word of God. And the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart and said, that is the truth. And you asked Jesus to take over your life and you were born again. You were born again through the Word of God. Well, guess what? A few verses later, Peter says, you not only uh, born, are born through the Word, you grow through the Word. Look what he says in the next verse there on your note sheet. Like newborn babies, see here's the analogy, like newborn babies, you need to crave pure spiritual milk so that, so that uh, by it you may grow up. There's our word. You may grow up in your salvation. So we're born through the word, but we grow up through the word. Now, it's interesting. You look at our mentor, Jesus, and you see that how true this was in his life. Right after his baptism, he goes into the wilderness before he starts his, uh, uh, his ministry to do what? Spend time with God, right? 40 days, major time with God. <laughs> and so he's there, and of course, at the end of 40 days, he doesn't eat the whole time, so he's, he's fasting. At the end of 40 days, um, Satan comes to him, and there's a major temptation scene that happens. If you've, you've read the book or seen The Passion, you know about this. So he goes through this temptation, and you remember that every time Satan comes with those three temptations, do you remember how Jesus responds? Like every time, right away, he doesn't argue, does not debate. He what? He quotes scripture, doesn't he? Specifically, he quotes the book of Deuteronomy. Now, of course, we've read the story. We know Satan's going to come. We know he's going to, you know, so lots of times we act as if Jesus knew what was coming. And so he just had those verses like memorized. I don't think so. He had no idea what was coming. Any more than you or I know it's coming when we're tempted. Here's what happened. He had worked the word of God into his life over a lifetime. He knew the Bible. And when the temptation came, the Holy Spirit brought to mind that verse for that thing. And he said, Satan, here is your answer. You see, he did spiritual warfare through the word of God. Well, now, what happens in our life when Satan comes to us and does spiritual warfare and we don't have those resources? The Holy Spirit's trying to remind us of something. There's nothing there, you know? Uh, and we kind of go, ba-dee, ba-dee, ba-dee. You know, it's, uh, all right. So it's really interesting to see how important the Word of God was for his strength. That's how he got so smart, you see? By the, by the Holy Spirit unfolding the Word of God for him. He's always teaching out of the Word. You study his life. But it's very, even more than that, at that temptation, remember the very first temptation was, he says, if you're really God's son, um, why don't you take these stones around here and turn them into loaves of bread? You know, it's sort of like macaroni grill or something. You know, those little loaves? Like, like turn them into loaves of bread. And you remember what Jesus said? Very profound. Very profound insight into human nature. Here's what he said. There in your note sheet. Matthew 4, 4. Jesus answered, it is written... Man does not live on bread alone. In other words, we're not just physical beings. Yes, we need bread, we're physical, but we can't live on bread alone. That'll lead to emptiness. He says, but we have to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You catch that? Jesus says, we're not just physical beings, we are spiritual beings. What feeds our body is bread. What feeds our soul is the word of God. Now, could you imagine, what if I made a deal with you and I came and said, all right, there's this amazing place. I haven't found this place up here yet. I'm sure you'll let me know afterwards. 
But there's amazing place. It's like a country club around here or whatever. And they have this killer brunch on Sunday mornings. And you go, and it's just like top notch and it's all you can eat. And here's my deal with you, is that I will pay for you and you can go and eat whatever you want every week. It's on me. But here's the deal. It's the only meal you get all week. Okay? You can't eat anything else. But you can gorge yourself that day. Like, who's going to take that deal? It doesn't matter how much you get to eat that day. Like, one day is not enough, right? You're going to be, like, anemic. You're going you're to major health problems. You're not going to be strong. And yet, here's exactly what oftentimes we do. We will come to church on the weekend to eat the Word of God. And we'll try to make it like a gourmet, you know? And we'll study it and we'll, we'll dig in and you can have as much as you want. But then we try to live the rest of the week in light of that one meal. It doesn't matter how good the meal is. It's not going to sustain you over the week. We, lear- we have to learn to be self-feeding. See? Now, number three. It's the path to spiritual power. Time, spending time alone with God, it, it's important because it's the path of spiritual power. And I'm talking particularly about a kind of power here. I'm talking about power through prayer, all right? Um, Jesus made it very clear when he left that we were going to do greater things than he, would ever, that he ever did. But every time he said, the way you will do that is through prayer. Now, it's very interesting. We'll, we'll look at that in a couple minutes. But it's like there's this partnership between heaven and earth where we ask and he delivers and that's how things get done in his universe. All right? I was trying to think of an analogy of this and here's one that came to my mind. You think back um, to after 9-11 and remember we entered into the war against the Taliban in in, in, uh, Afghanistan? And you remember that war, it was very interesting because we got to see kind of, you know, because of our modern technology, we could see a lot of stuff was going on, way more so than other times. And you remember how that war was, is that, that they would send often special forces behind enemy lines, and they would go and scope out, their job was to find out where the enemy was hiding. Remember they were back in the caves and all that, and, and so their job was to figure out where the enemy was hiding and what needed to happen. Their job of the special forces wasn't to go fight the war, their job was to identify the target. And then they would call into headquarters and say, okay, here's the target, here's what we need, here's when we need it. And headquarters would release the Air Force or uh, fighters or missiles or whatever to go meet that need, right? And so there was this partnership between the ground forces and the air forces. The job of the ground was to identify the need and request the, the hit, the job of the headquarters was to send the power and deal with the situation. You, you following this? Okay, now that's exactly when Jesus left, he said this is exactly the role prayer would play in our life. He said, I'm sending you men behind enemy lines here. I'm leaving you behind enemy lines. Your job is to identify what needs to be done to advance my kingdom. And then your job is to call headquarters and ask for a delivery system, to ask for a hit to be made, and I will send the power if you are asking for the things that I would ask if I were here. You see? It's exactly what he said. Uh, I want you to look at this in John chapter 14. You may remember John 13 through 17 is this long extended parts of conversation between Jesus and his disciples the night that he was arrested. So he tells them that after I leave, you're going to do amazing things. Um, 
But four times in this one passage, this one long extended passage, four times he says the way you will accomplish it is through asking. Okay? So in chapter 14 and verse 12, he says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. In fact, he will do even greater things than these because I'm leaving. I'm going to the Father. Now catch this. The very next thing he says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. Verse 14, you will ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So he says, I'm leaving. You're going to be more effective than I ever was. And the way is by asking. Okay? Now I want you to look at the next passage, chapter 15. He's going to say it four times in this one short section. In verse 5, he says that he's going to use the vine analogy branch. Of course, the key to being a branch is sticking with the vine, right? That's the key. If you're, if you're a branch in life, the hot tip, don't get cut off from the vine. And so he uses that analogy. He says, I'm the vine, verse 5. You're the branches, so stick with me. <laughs> if a man remains in me and I in him, he'll bear much fruit. He'll have be effective, okay? For, then he goes on in verse 7. If you abide in me or remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. It'll be done, you see? It says, you'll be, you're going to be effective. You're going to bear much fruit if you stick with me. But the way you're going to do it is by asking. Look at verse 16. You did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and bear fruit. In other words, to be effective. Fruit that will last. And then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. See that? Every time he talks about effectiveness, he links it to asking. One more, chapter 16. Verse 23. He's talking about after he rises from the dead now. And they'll enter this new era of effectiveness. And he says in 23, In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be complete. Four times in this short passage, he says, you're going to be more effective and it's all tied to asking. So let me ask you a question. What happens if you don't ask? Nothing. What happens if you're out there behind enemy lines and you go, there's the enemy and we need a hit right here. And you go, nah, I'm not calling it in. Nothing. Now, did God have to design the universe this way to be dependent on our participation? No. Could he have said, heck with what you want. I'm just going to run my universe the way I want to. Yes. But why didn't he? Because from the very beginning, God has looked at for partners to help him run the world. You see? We are destined to rule with him. And we are in training right now. And this is how God has designed the universe so there is a partnership between he and I. He has actually said, if you ask not, you will have not. Why? Because it's a real partnership. He's got the power. We're the eyes on the ground. We ask for what he would ask for if he were here. And he says, I will send in the strike. You see, this is partnership. So what happens if you're not spending time alone for God and asking for your marriage what you need? What happens if you're not asking for your kids? What happens if you're not asking for your colleague? What happens if you're not asking for your country? Do you see what happens? It's like we're eyes on the ground. We're not calling in the air support. It's how he set it up. So our time alone with him, it's so important because it's the, it's the path 
to really knowing God like Jesus knew him. It's the path to growing up to be like our big brother. It is the path to getting things done in his kingdom, you see? And so to skip that part and to to think that as a church we will be a healthy church, it's never going to happen. See, so being part of the company that committed, what does that really mean? It just means that you come to this conviction in your life that you say, okay, I'm going to learn, even if I've never done this before, I'm going to learn how to make a habit of spending consistent time with God. Now, your next question is, well, Mike, how much time? (laughs) How often? What are you looking for here? You know, my honest answer to that is that's kind of none of my business. That's between you and God. I honestly believe if a man or a woman comes before God and says, I want to please you, that's my top priority in life. That's habit number one. And I know that I need to spend time with you, but I need some counsel on that. I need some mentoring in that. Would you show me how much I need and how often I need? I believe the Holy Spirit as our mentor will mentor us in this. My hunch is, is that for most of us, that I end up being several times a week. At least we'll need to get along with God. For some of us, it might be daily. He might call you to something different than me. There's different seasons of life. There are different callings in life. There's different giftings. You know, some of you have little preschoolers. It's a lot harder. Some of you are empty nesters. You get more free time, you know. It's like life changes, but the Holy Spirit, I believe, he will guide you. But I do want to give you some practical tips on how to go about this, okay? Because this is not an easy thing. Uh, I, I got to tell you, as, as a younger believer, uh, I, I remember hearing messages like this, and I'd go, man, I, I want to know God like Jesus knew God. I want to grow up. I don't want to be a baby. Uh, I, I want to affect change in the kingdom of God through my asking. I want those things. And so I'd hear a message like this, and I'd go out, and next morning I'd set my alarm clock an hour early, and I'd get up, and I'd be all there and all excited, high expectations. And it's like lots of times I'd feel like God didn't get the message, you know? It's like I was there, but he wasn't there. It didn't, didn't seem real supernatural to me. Lots of times I was just fighting, staying awake. You know, you go like three minutes and it feels like an hour. It's got to be done yet. Oh my gosh, you know, 57 more minutes. Can I take ditches or something? There's got to be some other way to do this. You know, sometimes you read the word and it's like, oh, that's really cool. The other times you read it, it seems dry. And I don't, it didn't seem, we've probably all been there, right? And so then after about a week or two, I'd give up and stop. And then I'd feel guilty until I heard a next sermon on this topic. And then I'd feel guilty again and then cycle would begin and... So I was like a Bible-holic, you know, I just kind of keep going back and back to my, to my laziness, you know. All right. So it's not an easy thing to do. And so what I want to do is I want to share with you six practical suggestions that I think will help you. These are out of my own life and out of my own experience. Some will fit you, some won't. But I, I'm just trying to be as practical as I can to help you, okay? So number one. Number one is meet, meet when you're at your best. Um, some of us are, are morning people. Can I, can I see the hands? Morning people here. How many are morning people? Great. Okay, you're the ones that are listening. <laughs> um, <laughs> how many of you would say you're an evening person? Great. Come back tonight. We're in the pastor's class. I'll be glad to see you. Uh, okay. How many of you can function both times? Morning, evening, you're, you're like good at both times. Great. All right. Those people take over the world. Um, Yeah, so the question is, when are you your best? Meet with God when you're at your best. If you're a morning person, um, then meet with God then. If you're an evening person, don't try to meet with God in the morning. 
It's going to be a very disappointing experience for both of you. See? And, and, and it had changed. It might even change over your life. I've had times in my life where I've spent with God in the morning. It's been great. I've met times at, at night. I'm kind of a both and, and so nighttime can be good. And it might even change over your life. Uh, I had it really interesting that the last year and a half started this thing in my life, never happened before, where I began waking up in the middle of the night and feeling like God was calling to me to spend time with him. And it was just kind of the weirdest thing. And so I'd get up and spend an hour, an hour and a half with God. Then I'd go back to bed again. You know, it was just the weirdest thing. And, but really rich times. It's like nothing else was on my mind. Uh, I didn't have to get up and go to, you know, I didn't have to like be done by a certain time and go to work or whatever. Great times, you know. And so it may vary for you, but find the time that works best, okay? Number two is to create space in your schedule. Are there any of you here that are just kind of feeling today, like, that's so great, I'm going to spend time with God this week, because I didn't know what else I was going to do this week. I kind of pretty much open schedule. That's like, like, oh, this is just awesome. It was going to be a boring week. Now you gave me something to do, actually. It's a reason to get up. No, no, no. We're all too busy, right? And so if you want to add something to your life, here's the hot tip. You're going to have to cut something out of your life. And so lots of times we do this. We go, okay, I'll just sort of add this to my, what I'm doing now. It's not going to work. If you're serious, you have to cut something out. It could be, you know, video games. It could be um, you're a workaholic. You're going to work less. It could mean other certain hobbies or activities. Or well, I'll tell you, for most of us, I'll tell you the number one opportunity for most of us, kind of the best thing, is TV. I, I was doing some research for this message, and I went online to the AC Nielsen thing. You know, do the ratings people. And here was their statistics, and it was so amazing, because about a week later, after I did this research, they came out a new study from Nielsen that they'd updated it, and the situation was even worse. This is the average American watches TV four hours a day, which translates into 28 hours a week, and this is the part that blew me away. It said on their website, which adds up to two months of straight watching TV for every American every year. uh, that's 24-hour days, two months of watching TV straight. So it'd be like, okay, I'm going to get my TV out of the way early. I'm going to watch for January and February. (laughs) And then I'll I'll come back online in March. I'll see you in March. Um, And and I'm like, there's no way. I I pulled up my Excel spreadsheet. I'm doing the math. And it's like, it was actually a little more than two months. And then comes out the survey that says it's not four hours, it's four and a half hours now because there's so amazing shows on TV like now. Like, you know, Desperate Housewives. All right. So, so here's my thought. If you're one of the TV people, here's my thought. Is it, hey, here's an idea. Just turn the TV off. If you're an evening person, turn it off an hour early. You, you got an hour built in right there, you see? Like you got TiVo, so you can do it some other time, you know? Um, uh, if you're a morning person, turn it off an hour early. Go to bed an hour earlier. Just change your schedule. And then, but you see what I'm saying? If, you're, if you want to make this happen, you're going to have to carve out time. You have to doubt, you're going to offload something for your life. I know a few years ago, I went through experience. And I, I want to highlight this. This is just for me, all right? This is, I'm not putting this on anyone else. Can I put neon lights around that? But I'm about to say is only for me, all right? This is, I'm not trying to make you do something, okay? I'm not, there's no guilt intended here. No manipulation, all right? Okay, I just need to be really clear. My wife said last night I needed to be clearer. And, and I thought I was like crystal clear. 
But then that happens sometimes in marriage, doesn't it? <laughs> um, all right. About five years ago, uh, I've always been an avid sports fan. I mean, big time. I will watch all the games. I know all the statistics, read the newspaper, the sports page first thing every day, know all the players, just have a mind for that kind of thing. Just love sports. I've always loved sports my whole life. And so about five years ago, out of the blue, hadn't heard a sermon, um, you know, no guilt producing this, nothing. Uh, comes to the fall, football season's ready, and I feel like the Lord puts it in my heart that I am no longer to participate in sports, watching sports. And you know, the interesting thing, yeah, see what, you know what I'm saying? Because otherwise, all the guys would have a heart attack right now. You can see why I set this up. If following Jesus means giving up all sports, you know, I'm out. <laughs> so, uh, so, but it's really funny. It's a uh, it just came out of the blue, and if you've ever experienced one, it's kind of like the Lord just downloaded a new desire not to do this. You know, it's sort of like, uh, it's not that I'd never miss it, but it wasn't like that hard either. And, and so it did a couple of things. It just created a lot of new space in my life for some new things that God wanted to do in a variety of areas. Um, I think, honestly, part of that was like five or six years ago preparing me for this role here. I honestly believe that. That, um, that there were some things that he wanted to do to get me ready for this role. And, and he needed to create space in my schedule. And the other thing was, it was really cool because in our family, when the Chargers lost, it was like a morgue, you know? And so uh, I, I'm not even sure Jesus was on the throne when the Chargers lost. It's like my faith would go down, you know? And my whole family have to tiptoe around the house, you know? Stay away from dad, what's wrong? The Chargers lost. Oh, we get it, you know? And, uh, and so not only... Not only did it create space, but the whole mood of our family all week went up, you know. And because uh, I'd be pretty much bad for seven days until they won again, which in certain seasons it would last for months. But <laughs> anyway, okay. Number three. The third tip is to start slowly. Um, if you're going to do this, um, my, my advice is really start slowly. Uh, this is a, a marathon, it's not a sprint. We are trying to create a habit in your life. Okay? It's a habit. It's not like a, a fad. And so if you want to create a habit, you know, modern research has shown pretty clearly that to create a habit in your life, you have to do the same thing every day for like 30 to 60 days. That's how long it, it takes to create a habit. It's really hard up to that point, and then it, it becomes a habit. It becomes much easier. And you may have experienced this like with dieting or something like that or starting to eat healthily or something. I've noticed about after about three or four weeks of eating healthy, the, the old stuff just doesn't appeal near as much. It still appeals, uh, truth in advertising. But, but it just doesn't, it doesn't appeal the same way. And so here's the trick that if you want to initiate a new habit in your life, you have to, take a, uh, uh, you have to choose something that you can really sustain between 30 to 60 days. Because if you choose something that's too big, you know, that you can't sustain and after two weeks you quit, it's never going to become a habit. Does that make sense? Well, it's very true in spiritual life too. If you want to spend time with God, you need to start slowly. Make sure that, okay, whatever, if I'm going to start this tomorrow, that needs to be something I can really visualize myself doing for the next 30 to 60 days. Because otherwise you're going to stop. That was my mistake when I'd get up an hour early and try to do an hour with God to jump in. Like, it just didn't work that way. You know, life doesn't work that way. So, uh, start slowly. Uh, I had a uh, friend of mine. It's actually a friend of Lynn's, a friend of mine too, but, but uh, she and several friends of Lynn were up a few weeks ago spending the weekend, and she was telling us all how, uh, you know, she's a marathoner now. She's in her early 50s, and she's a marathoner, and we're all just blown away, you know, from that, because going to the post office seems like a hike to a lot of us, so anyway, so she, 
she's like this marathoner, and, and she said, you know, it's really not that hard. And we're like, what are you talking about? Running 26 miles, are you crazy? I mean, that's hard. And she's like, no, no, it's just, all you do is you go into runnersworld.com. And she said, they have a plan there for you. And it just starts off really slowly. And you start walking a little bit, then you walk a little bit more, and you walk a little bit more. And then pretty soon you start jogging and walking and jogging and walking, and then you just jog, and, then, and it's just, you just kind of follow it out. And it's really not that hard, you see? See, Runner's World discovered a trick. If you want to create a marathoner, you want to create a habit, you just start small, just little things. So, so start slowly. Okay, that's why I often suggest that when you're starting off with this thing with God, it's great to just, just spend five minutes a day. I'm going to spend five minutes a day. We all have five minutes. That's easy. You don't have to, you know, change your TV watching at five minutes a day. You know, just go a long, long commercial or something, which are more and more of these days. So five minutes a day. Now, is five minutes a day going to change your life and get you close with God and create great spiritual growth? No, no, no. No. But it's a step, you see. It's a step. Number four. Number four is to show up and relax. There's a great theologian, famous theologian named Woody Allen. He said 90% of success in life is just showing up. And can I tell you something in terms of spending time with God? That is so true. Just show up. You know, many times you hear a message like this, you get so fired up, you want to get close to God and grow and so on. You, you meet with God the first time and you just expect fireworks. You expect like life changes. And then you get there, it's a little dry, kind of far, hard to get in the rhythm, nothing's really coming. And it's like, well, I must be doing something wrong. No, you're not. It's just like that. It's just like that when you start. Have you ever gone on vacation and realized it takes like three or four days for your body to realize it? Have you ever had this thing? You're like, you're so mad because you've worked so hard to get to vacation. You need it so desperately. You've been going 100 miles an hour for six months or a year or whatever. And you finally get to vacation and you're ready to relax and your body is not cooperating. And you're like, relax. And it's like, you relax. You've been running me 100 miles an hour for the last year. You think I'm going to stop on a dime? It takes time to wind down this engine, right? And if you've ever experienced this, you know what I'm saying, about day three or four, or if it's, you've been working really too hard, it's about day six or seven when you're ready to start coming home, you almost just let letdown as your body just kind of relaxes. You're like, whoa, I'm on vacation. But then your wife says, hey, you know, it's time for us to go back, but that's how it works, isn't it? It takes a while for even our bodies to get in rhythm with rest, let alone time with God. And so we start spending time with God. There's a rhythm that happens. And so just don't stress out over it. Don't raise your expectations so high. Just show up. Give God the time. I tend to be a high achievement type person. You know, it's like want to, you know, kind of reach the next level, you know, run the next race, whatever. I, I've, I found that I tend to take that in my relationship with God. And so I, I show up to meet with God, and it's like before you know it, it's like a big to-do list, you know? Got my prayer list out, you know, checking things off, oh, reading through the Bible in a year, making good progress, you know? And if we're not careful, it's not a relationship, it's this ritual thing we're going through. And we're just kind of going through the hoops. And several years ago, the Lord t- took me through a time where I just really felt like he said, Mike, I want you to approach it totally differently, your time with me, I just want you to show up. Give me an hour, you show up. 
Don't worry about what happens. I've got an agenda. And so I just begin. I'd go in this green chair in my den, and I'd sit down, and I'd just be there. And sometimes for 20 minutes, nothing would happen. I'd just be sitting there and just kind of quiet. And I watch, and, but my body began to slow down. And my mind began to slow down. And all of a sudden, there'd be something that came to mind that I really wanted to pray about. And I'd start to pray about that, and it'll lead to something else. And I might spend the whole time in prayer. Other times it would be a certain passage of Scripture would come to mind. And I began to read it, and it just began to speak to me. And just, other times there'd be new thoughts from God about a situation I've been praying about. Maybe my family or leadership. And I began to journal it out. It's almost like, hey, I think he's giving me insight here. And he began to teach me, you know, Mike, just show up and give me the hour. You know, just mellow out. And that's carried on to this day to where lots of times when I go to spend time with him, I don't know what's going to happen. It's not my agenda. It's his agenda. God, I'm here. What are we working on today? And sometimes it's a lot of prayer and sometimes it's journaling and sometimes it's worship. Sometimes I go through seasons where it's real structured. Right now I'm going through a season where I'm reading through the Bible in a year kind of thing the last month or two. And it's been really good. And uh, but about a week ago, it was like it was becoming too much of a to-do list. And he was kind of like saying, hey, that's fine to do that, but I want to leave me some free time in this time too, you know. Some other things I want to talk about. And so, you see what I'm saying? It's just show up. That's half the battle. And, and be open. Okay. Number five. We won't spend a lot of time here because we've talked about this before, but there's a lot of new people, so I just want to quickly hit it. Um, number five is buy a good Bible and mark it up. If you're new at this whole thing, you're, you're kind of new to the Bible, you need to get a Bible that is readable. It's a good translation, modern. You know that Bible that your mom gave you in third grade? It's like, save it. It's precious. Keep it on a shelf somewhere. Give it to your kids someday. But get a Bible that you can understand. Uh, and here's another tip, is that I would really suggest, and the more, boy, the longer I'm here pastoring you, the more I'm convinced of this, I, I encourage you, get a study Bible. It's, I can't tell you what a difference that would make. I've even made a couple suggestions. They're the New International uh, Life Application Bible or the NIV New International Study Bible. And, and I've actually, I bought, I bought two of these a few months ago, and I've actually been using them a lot just so I would know what to recommend. My goal was that by Christmas I could tell you, okay, this is the one I recommend. So um, for your Christmas presents, make sure it's on your list. You know, y'all get one for this new year as we go into the new wor- year together. But the one that I'm really leaning towards right now, the more I use them, is the, the Life Application Bible. I think for most people here, you'll enjoy that more. The Study Bible has more like historical data, more dates, uh, more what does the text mean. The app, Life Application has more of how it applies to your life. I think for most people, you'll probably be the application. It'll be the, the one that'll help you the most. Um, but you can pick them up, you know, and get them online. You put them in Bible bookstore. Uh, I, I don't think Costco carries them anymore. I don't know what's up with that. But uh, Sam's Club, I know, carries them. So go there. All right. 40 bucks. What a deal. Okay, now, number six. Work it until it works. You know, there are very few things in life that you're going to go out and do them right the first time. You know? If you're picking up a sport, you're picking up a hobby, you're learning how to use a computer, very few things, you're just going to go out and right at the gate, boom, you know, you knock it out of the park. It's like life doesn't work that way. And yet in our spiritual life, we often expect it to. 
okay, I'm going to go out and show up and spend time with God, and I expect this to be amazing. The Bible's going to speak to me. I'm going to know how to pray. It's going to be great. We're going to be connection. It's not going to be like that. You're going to have to figure this out. You're going to have to work it until it works. Experiment. For, for some of you, for example, you'll find out that like reading large chunks of the Bible will work great for you. Maybe reading through the Bible in a year, something like that. For others of you, you've always had a hard time reading. You may have a reading disability. It's just not the way it's going to work for you. What's going to work for you is picking a short passage, 10 verses, 12 verses, and really reading it carefully and praying about that. And God, what do you want to say to me through this? And really maybe visualizing what that was like that day when Jesus was doing that thing or something. And so going slower but deeper is going to really speak to you. For some of you, when it comes to prayer, you're going to love having a prayer list and checking off when God answers. It's going to be very inspiring to you. For others of you, it's going to feel way too much like a to-do list, and you'll need to be more spontaneous. For some of you, you're going to love journaling. You're going to write your prayers out to God. You're going to write down the insights you're getting in his word and what he's teaching you about life, and that's going to be very helpful. For others of you, you're just going to get a cramp in your hand, you know? For, for some of you, you're going to love starting every time with a worship CD. It's going to put you in the right frame of mind, and you're going to enter in the presence of God, and it's going to be awesome. For others of you, it's like you get more music than you want at church, you know? It's like, okay, you, you're, a good idea of church would be coming in 20 minutes late, you know? It's like, okay, then that's not, how, that's not your language. That's not how God speaks to you, so don't put on worship. See what I'm saying? And you're going to have to experiment. This week in your life groups, you'll be asking your question, like, what has you found work for you? Listen to your people in your group. They might have an idea that would be right for you, that would be what God wants to use in your life. But the important thing is, the important thing is that as a congregation, we learn habit number three. We learn to create a habit of spending alone time with God because it's the way we draw close, develop spiritual intimacy. It's the way we grow up, become like our big brother, It's the way things get done in the kingdom. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to be together and to study. And thank you for just being our model. Jesus, I love it. It's not just what you say. It's what you do that teaches us. Every word you say, every act you did, it tells us a little bit more of what God is really like. And we're so thankful for that. Thank you for modeling for us that the intimacy doesn't just happen that we've got to create space for it. Please be with us as a congregation as we move into this together with small steps, maybe faltering steps, but we begin to experiment. We pray that even this week, would you meet with us as we come to meet with you? We pray this in your name. Amen. I'm so glad you could be with us today as we celebrate the Lord's presence, as we celebrate his word, and as we celebrate his supper. Let's stand together. May God be with you this week. May it be a week of growth. May you pursue him with a full heart. And may you experience him responding to you as you reach out. For as his word says, if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you next week.